engineers Simon Hawkes and Anthony Demanti, or Hawkes and AD to their mates, are on a journey down the river of water engineering. In this podcast series, Hawkes and AD share their inspiring conversations with a cross-section of people from the water industry and beyond. The conversations aim to motivate students and professionals alike to contribute to the growth of the engineering profession. So, without further ado, it's over to you lads. Hello and welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The Good Drop with Hawks and AD, a water industry flavoured podcast. Anthony, good to be back. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling great, Simon. Uh, looking forward to another exciting uh, interview we have today. Have you been staying out of harm's way? Doing my best. Yes, head down, bum up. Today's guest, I'm really looking forward to speaking with to get some great leadership advice. And I suppose I'm also interested to see how this water professional handles her work responsibilities and her family life commitments. And it's just something that I know you and I are both challenged with getting right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a challenge for everyone, everyday professionals and non-professionals alike, really just to not push yourself too hard and end up burning out or or worse. So very much front of mind and um, always interested to get our guests differing opinions and, and insights into the way that they manage things. Yes, so with that, I'm going to introduce our guest, and that person is Natalie Muir, who is Cardno, now Stantec's General Manager for Water and Environment. Natalie is Brisbane-based, and she's a water professional that you and I have worked closely with on the Logan Water Alliance for the last 13 years or so. So, Nat, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on the Good Drop podcast. Welcome. No worries. Thanks, Hawks. Thanks, AD. Nice to be here. I'm going to start the questions off. So, Nat, can you tell our listeners about where you grew up and why you chose to pursue an engineering career? And I suppose, was there a particular moment that, or person, say, that led you to working in the water industry? Yeah, sure. Um, look, I've listened to a few of your podcasts and probably like a, a few of your uh, interviewees. Um, I grew up in the country, grew up in Stanthorpe, um, wine country for you, AD. Uh, oh, I didn't know that at all. This there you great. go. <laughs> it's a lovely spot. A very nice spot to grow up. I actually spent most of my high school years deciding that I wanted to be an accountant. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, really enjoyed uh, accountancy and some of the business subjects. Did all of that stuff through my uh, grade 11 and 12 and then had a bit of an interesting moment in grade 12, I think it was. Um, we had some challenges with our accounting teacher and to cut a long story short, I basically ended up teaching our class accounting and somehow that made me decide that that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I had to do a bit of a quick pivot around what it was that I was going to do when I left high school and uh, look through what I vividly remember was the red book that had all the different careers or, or different, um, sorry, different courses available, stumbled across environmental engineering and went, oh, you know what, that sounds like something that uh, would interest me. A um, bit of the environmental side, always had a bit of, I guess, a passion for improving the world um, and I guess the engineering piece made it quite tangible as well so some some positive impacts that I could have on the on the greater world so that was a very quick pivot and then followed moments of panic when I realized yeah you know how stubborn I was about saying no no I want to be an accountant I'm definitely going to do accountancy and business practices or whatever else I'm not going to do um, maths two and physics those decisions kind of came back to bite me and I had to quickly uh, work through whether I'd have enough prerequisites to get in. Fortunately, I did. Doing environmental engineering, we 
studied uh, a few water subjects um, and I just found that I really liked them. So uh, that was my choice when I left university and thought, right, where am I going to apply for jobs? I only applied for jobs in the water industry, so there's no surprises that I actually got here in the end um, and uh, started with a graduate role with uh, what was Brisbane Water at the time. So, yeah, interesting when I kind of reflect back on it that, yeah, I don't know whether it's focus or whether it's stubbornness or maybe a little bit of both. Um, but, yeah, it was a little bit of an interesting journey. But I think once I found my feet in the water industry, I've never thought of doing anything different, really. It's quite a left turn from an accountant, that's for sure. <laughs> it is and it so, isn't. In, in my current role, um, obviously, I do a lot of financial stuff. Uh, and I guess the other career that I had thinking thought about at one stage was to be a lawyer. And again, contracts and legal stuff is a really key part of mm. being a leader within a consultancy business. So in a lot of ways, I kind of get to do all, all of those pieces, but took a different way to get there. Yeah, that's the funny thing about consultancy. Once you rise past the technical deliverables and that type of thing that we usually start as as engineers, it's very much, yeah, you, you need sharp business skills as much or if not more than anything else. So, Absolutely. you know, tax accountancy and, and you do see a lot of, you know, global consultancies being led by accountants. It's quite a common thing. Yes, so. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just great to have you in the water industry, Nat. There's enough accountants. We need great engineers like yourself, so <laughs> good choice. Absolutely. And so you're now you're currently Cardno now Stantex general manager for water environment. Can you tell us about your journey into management and leadership? Had a bit of a look through your career in passing through your CV. Probably a, a planner by background, you might describe yourself, but definitely more so now, or very much so in in the leadership space. And and that's I suppose one of the things that Anthony and I have enjoyed learning from about people and who we've spoken to in terms of their mm -hmm. experience with leadership. So. Love to hear what your general day looks like and um, basically your impressions of leadership and how you've managed it. Sure. So I guess in terms of my journey, as I said before, I started with uh, Brisbane Water. Um, as you say, probably a network planner would be my, my technical background. I moved to Victoria, worked for Yarra Valley Water for a few years um, in the early 2000s, I guess it was. And that's really where I started my leadership journey, um, stepped into a team leader role there running what was called our backlog program, so looking to provide sewerage services to some of the outlying areas in Victoria, so in the Dandenongs really. And then before I left Yarra Valley Water, I ended up running the Water Capital Works program for the business. So that was, again, a really good opportunity to, to jump in and do some capital works delivery and, and all those sorts of things. Yarra was a fantastic place as a breeding ground, I guess, for great leaders and also to start your leadership journey. They had fantastic support structures, lots of really great training. I think really, you know, that strong appreciation that people leadership is a different skill set to technical leadership and really took people on that that leadership journey. So um, so that was a really great way to try and step into that leadership journey with the, the support of great people and great programs to really help sort of develop those skills. Um, but then in, I think it was 2000. Um, I headed back to Queensland, joined Cardno and haven't really left since, uh, stayed there ever since. So, And inside Cardno, I guess I've taken on again a number of leadership roles, focused initially in the water business. So I was a business leader for our water business for a number of years, but I guess over the last five years or so have also then diversified into other leadership positions. So uh, great to 
take on a leadership role in an area where you're comfortable and where you've got your technical knowledge. But the, the stretch and the, the real change for me over the last few years has actually been to diversify and, and lead other parts of the business. So um, at one point I was running our southeast Queensland business, which was water and transport and asset management, geosciences, buildings, all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Um, and so a real change, I guess, and a, a real journey as far as leadership is concerned to, to find your own strength in that because you don't have to be an expert in something that you're managing or, or taking that leadership role in. You need to be able to know how to ask the right questions. You, know, you need to be able to foster the right talent in the business uh, and be able to, to give them the right strategy and direction. And so it can feel a bit daunting to start with when you're talking to a people that you know you don't know anywhere near much, um, as much about their projects or their, their technical area um, as they do but it's important to acknowledge that and then know what you can contribute to that discussion so um, I think that's been a really interesting journey. Uh, in terms of my day well they're probably pretty varied. Uh, I do try to work around my personal commitments um, you know I guess that work-life balance piece is, is about trying to prioritise the things that are really important to you. I also have a number of random hour calls so early meetings, often connecting with the US, late night meetings, which is often through um, through FIDIC or the Australian Water Association or some of the other organisations I'm involved in. So that's always challenging to kind of work those around everything as well. But, you know, I guess I do spend my days in a lot of meetings, but, you know, they might be just connecting with staff, um, my direct reports or others in the business, understanding how they're feeling, contributing, obviously, to key bids, strategies, all those sorts of things. At the moment, a big focus is obviously on integration with the um, the integration of the Cardmo business into Stantec. So I'm spending a big chunk of my time uh, working in that space at the moment. Understanding workflows and parallel capabilities and, and gaps yes. and things like that. Yes, and how we bring it all together, um, which is uh, always the interesting part. But there's some really exciting things as we bring all that capability together, um, some, some great strengths in parts of the Stantec business where we don't have strengths and vice versa. And so I think there's some really good stuff as we bring the business together. Um, just got to work through all of the, the challenges of the integration. Yeah, they're always the, the real challenges for any merger or acquisition where I guess they're looking for a, a dance partner that has a complementary set of skills or, you know, capabilities in the market and, and how you can best balance. Some of those points that you raise in terms of distilling out what are the important things to learn as a, as a leader and, and how to engage your staff and things like that. Do you have any good leadership lessons that you can share? Sure. I mean, the first one's really, you know, you can't do it all. Um, and the, mm. the real important piece of any good leader is to um, make sure that you don't try to take on too much. Um, that self-care piece is critically important. You need to really understand your limits probably take some situations where you go close to your limits or, or go close to breaking yourself before you work it out but um, you do need to really understand what those limits are listen to your body listen to what it's telling you about you know I need a break I need to step away from it I need to do whatever I need to do but equally to not be apologetic for it you know if you just need to take some time off if you you know if you're sick um, if you're not feeling the best and you just need to step away for an hour or two don't be apologetic about that's what you need to do. Um, you've got to do what's right for you because otherwise you're not going to function for your team or, or for the business. You know, important to make sure you're obviously supporting all the people around you. Um, you can't do it all and you need the, the strength of your leadership team or the people around you to help, making sure you're giving them lots of support and delegating work to them. 
I also think it's really important to make sure you're quite open and vulnerable as a leader. Show that you're a real person, you know, let your personality out. Have a bit of fun, you know. We're all, we spend far too much time at work to be too serious, right? You've got to have a bit of fun in what you do and really show that you're a person that cares about the people on on the other side of the the conversation. You care about what they do and care about the fact that they enjoy their work and that they um, are feeling fulfilled. So I think that authenticity is probably one of the the most important things that you can do as a leader. Great advice, Nat. You've uh, cut short your trip to, to Switzerland. You were in Geneva last week to join us on the good drop for our podcast today but I know that's not really the truth but (laughs) you've been away at the International Federation of Consulting Engineers Global Infrastructure Conference that's a mouthful can you tell us about that experience and what were the key takeaways you got yeah sure um look it, it was an absolutely fantastic experience I've been involved with the International Federation of Consulting Engineers, otherwise known as FIDIC, for the last three years as a vice chair on the Sustainable Development Committee. So this was the first time, obviously, post-COVID, not that we can say post, but anyway, post-shutdowns, that we've been able to host a conference face-to-face. So I had a great opportunity to meet all of the people from FIDIC that I've been working with the last couple of years, the people on the Sustainable Development Committee that I've been working with, And also we're actually working on a collaboration with the World Wildlife Federation um, on a playbook for sustainable infrastructure. So there was a a couple of representatives from WWF across there. So again, great to meet them rather than just seeing them on the, on the little screen. Um, And we had some awesome conversations about where we might take the playbook and some other opportunities that we'll have to collaborate with WWF at um, at COP and, and other uh, events. So yeah, fabulous experience. The conference itself was actually all based around sustainable infrastructure, which of course was fabulous as well. What was really great was actually hearing some of the messages that we've been talking about as a sustainable development committee for the last couple of years too. Um, I remember our first webinar and we were talking about, you know, the important thing for engineers, um, this probably comes from my planning background too, uh, but from a sustainability point of view, you know, the earlier we get involved in from an asset life cycle point of view or a project life cycle point of view, the greater opportunity we have to influence. And, you know, that's the difference between potentially making a piece of infrastructure more sustainable and actually when you start at the front, you can actually create sustainable infrastructure solutions. And so, you know, some of those messages were actually coming back at us um, from uh, from some of the, the attendees at the conference and definitely the philosophy of, of people trying to ensure that we're engaged early in the conversation, that we're engaged from a policy-making perspective, trying to make sure that there's a seat at the table for engineers to ensure that um, we can really make a difference in the, in the climate conversation. You know, at the end of the day, forums like COP will determine policy positions but you know it's the engineers the scientists and the architects that are the ones that will actually be implementing the solutions and trying to work out how we make this whole thing work and how we get to net zero and indeed nature positive I guess um, as we go forward. Such important topic pieces I think most consultancies are obviously focusing a lot of their attention and addressing how we do these things from the sustainability sense moving forward and with assets and infrastructure in particular. I was just wondering, this playbook, is that going to be positioned in terms of who it caters to? Is is it for um, government and policymakers? Uh, I guess a broad audience, so across policymakers, probably more around 
our audience, so the, the consulting engineering world, but to provide some real life examples, to provide some steps and guidance around how our engineers might be able to influence sustainable outcomes on their projects. I guess with the FIDIC perspective in particular, you know, as a global organisation, there's a whole lot of member firms that are at quite different stages in their journey. Um, and some of it's around taking the best practice in parts of the world and understanding what that looks like and then trying to apply or, or to provide some recommendations on how other parts of the world might be able to might be able to take that forward. So Nat, when you went over to Geneva, how did you find Australia was comparing against the rest of the world? Were we holding our own? Were we are we leading? Are we trailing when it comes to sustainability? In addition, what were some of the most memorable presentations that you might have sat in on? Sure. So I think Australia and over the last couple of years as, as part of the SDC, I guess um, I've sat there for a little while and gone, oh, little Australia, we don't even have a climate. <laughs> we, we don't even have a policy from a governmental perspective. And now at least we've got a climate policy, which is a good starting point. Look, places like the UK, I think, are a, a lot further down the path of their decarbonisation journey. But then, you know, Australia, New Zealand, probably not too dissimilar to the US coming to grips with what it all looks like. Things are going to change fairly rapidly as we start to see more of the more of the disclosure reporting and requirements on companies to ensure that they are tackling the issues of climate change and, and have those aspects embedded within within their business. There's definitely, I think, some really great stuff that's happening in Australia and, you know, across the world. So I, I think we're We've still got a long way to go. There's, uh, we are behind a number of countries, I guess, if you look at us as a country, but there's definitely pockets of excellence and there's some things that we're doing amazingly. So if we can apply some of that stuff more broadly and get everyone on the same page and start getting some action across a broader cross-section of the, of the community, then I think we'll be positioned quite well. Where do you see the industry which has the biggest potential for impact or reducing that impact? Um, I mean, it's interesting because there's different... In different sectors, things are at different levels of maturity, um, you know, inside some of the, the vertical infrastructure, the buildings parts of, of businesses, and, and this is probably a general comment across um, all Australian businesses, all of that ESD, I guess, as, as it was called, um, is quite strong and, and quite well developed. In other parts of the business, it's more developing. You know, I think we're fortunate in the water industry that the environmental linkage is quite strong. I think water professionals understand that everything we do has a, a strong and, and quite intimate link with environmental impacts. And so therefore the sustainability piece has been something that has been on the radar for a number of years. It's been good to see that conversation changing from SDGs to circular economy to net zero um, and all sorts of things. So it's been a, a good evolution across the across the water business. Um, but look, I think, you know, the big stuff that people are talking about is really the whole energy transition piece because it's monstrous. And, you know, that comes into play for our mining companies who want to head towards net zero mining, but equally for the government organisations and, and utility providers to try and go down the energy transitions piece. So, you know, huge bodies of work to do in terms of electrification of vehicle fleets and what that means uh, in terms of the transportation journey as well. But I think the energy transition piece is, is, is quite significant. Matt, you're leaving me hanging on some of these incredible speakers that were over there. You've got to tell me, what was the drive home message? What was the most memorable speaker you sat in on? 
The most memorable speaker was the governor, I think he was, of a place called Lagos in uh, Nigeria. So it's one of their mm. large mega cities, and he was talking about their journey. There was actually a speaker the previous day on a panel, so she was also from the same location. Um, she talked about the tiny buses that they have. So they really have no system mm. of mass transit. So I can't remember the number, but it was some phenomenal number of these tiny buses that take about seven to 12 people at a time, and that's what's trying to transit the city of 25 million people. And so now they've gone down a, a pathway they've got a uh, a master plan for how they change the transportation system going down the path of uh trying to develop the rail system and and a whole bunch of other things but yeah it was just really fascinating to understand the perspective of a mega city and a mega city where you're trying to build infrastructure in more I guess of a brownfield type environment and and the like um it was quite inspiring he also talked about the fact that 65% of their population are under 30, so a huge component of um, of youth in their city and, you know, what they're trying to do to, I guess, engage with them and, and the like. So, yeah, that I think was probably the – that was the top of my list, that's for sure. Thank you. 65%, that is really – that's quite astounding, really. And, and I guess exciting in a way that it will be the children of the future that will have to take the mantle and, and run with it in the next 20 years and 40 years. Yeah, it's an interesting that, demographic because it's quite different, I guess, to, you know, we talk about our ageing population and, and some of the yeah. challenges that we have with that, but they obviously have a significant youth population, which is, yeah, I, I guess just a very different perspective. Great opportunity to be able to harness the capability of youth. And, you know, when you talk sustainability, it's our young professionals and future leaders that are absolutely engaged in it. They're the people that will help to drive it. They're the people that will, I think, help us drive the innovation that we need to get the outcomes that we need to achieve um, and so they've kind of got the horsepower there they've just got to work out how they how they really engage it and make the best use of it. Yeah I was going to uh, ask you about your new role uh, let me see regional director environment and geoscience so is it as much a little step sideways into a broader portfolio if you can elaborate and tell us what that involves that'd be great. Sure. So as we've gone through the integration, we've had to look at our, our business model and how it all operates. In Stantec, I guess the, the environmental business is smallish um, or smaller, a reasonable proportion or, or number of people in, in Perth, but a fairly small environment business on the East Coast. So we had the opportunity, I guess, through the review to pull out that environment and geosciences business as a separate business line. And um, I've been asked to jump into the regional director role for that, which is, which is pretty cool. So that's really, I guess, about, you know, bringing that business together, bringing all the different parts of the Cardinal now Stantec and the Stantec business and uh, really leverage the strength and depth that we've got across the, across the business. And, and, you know, I think, Hawks, you were talking before about the the complementary piece and it, it is actually really exciting. You know, our environmental business was quite strong on the East Coast. As I said, the Stantec business quite strong on the West Coast. Geosciences is probably something that we bring a little bit more to the table of. So it's actually a really good um, merger to, to bring a really great capability forward. So um, the other exciting role that I have in the new Stantec land too is a um, what we call a climate solutions leader. So that's actually an Australian-New Zealand role hooks in with another four climate solutions leaders across the globe and that's really trying to drive, um, again, our 
our response to the climate challenge and, and how we're going to help our clients in um, addressing the needs uh, and, and in terms of their decarbonisation journey and the like. So, yeah, exciting times ahead. That's excellent. I wish you all the best on the 1st of January appointment. So I'll be watching this space on LinkedIn. Thank you, Nat. In our preparation for our interview with you, I've noticed you have an, a lot of other sub roles in addition to your general manager role, but you're also a member of Cardno Now Stantec Sustainability Task Force, as well as a chair of the Mental Health and Wellbeing Employee Group. So can you tell us a bit more about those initiatives and what you've been up to? I can. Um, I definitely like collecting extracurricular hats. Seems to be a habit of mine, but um, uh, I reflected on that a little while ago and I went, you know what, though, this is the stuff that really drives me and this is some of the stuff that really helps that passion and that, that energy, um, which is great because, you know, your day-to-day -day job is great and, and I love what I do too, but you can get a bit caught sometimes in the day-to-day the -day doldrums that when you get involved in some of these additional initiatives, it's a, a real energiser. So, um, yeah, so... I am pretty good at collecting hats, but anyway, in terms Amazing. of... Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you blow me away sometimes how many different things you do. <laughs> Thank you. Look, in terms of, so the sustainability task force, um, that was something we pulled together a couple of years ago, really just trying to connect people across the globe who had a passion for sustainability. I guess as soon as that comes up, I'll put my hand up and, and uh, got involved in that. We were responsible for pulling together the first sustainability report. We've done a lot of, um, I guess, knowledge sharing and, and the like. Um, the sustainability task force will now sort of morph into some of the other initiatives that are, that are going on. But that, again, was a really great way to help understand the capability that we had across the, the business and a great connection point for um, in the, the Cardno space, I guess, our Australian-based and our American-based colleagues to connect and leverage off each other and, and try and chase some opportunities where we might be utilising each other's expertise um, and the like. Mental Health Working Groups, the other one you mentioned there. So um, that's a working group that spun out of our overall diversity and inclusion strategy. And there was, I guess, a point in time when there was a call for volunteers to get involved in some of the DNI initiatives. I started looking across the gamut of things that we were doing and, you know, there's a women in Cardno group and I kind of went, yeah, but I'll get involved in that anyway. There's the RAP committee, uh, which I sort of thought that's a really important initiative, but I think that that's part of my job is to make sure that we're actually advancing what we do towards reconciliation. And anyway, after looking through them all, I went, you know what, mental health is something I probably don't know enough about. So I put my hand up to get involved in, um, in that one and I don't, know, I don't seem to be able to get involved in things without leading them in the end. So um, ended up uh, chairing that working group, which has been fabulous. And we've rolled out some really cool initiatives, things associated with, you know, Are You OK Day, with uh, Mental Health Day. We put some advice out over the Christmas break, again, just for people to look after each other um, and looking to roll out one one last initiative, I guess, for that uh, working group before we um, then move over into some of the Stantec initiatives. So, yeah, I guess that was really a bit of a, I guess, a stretch assignment for myself um, to learn about something different and see how I could contribute to supporting other people with their mental health. Great work, Nat. I totally understand the need to have side ventures, if I can call them that, just to, to keep the, the saw sharpened, I suppose, the equivalent for me is this podcast it energizes me so i totally get the whole energization yeah. from from having um, uh, contributing to your activities again this just leads into our main item how do you fit this all in simon you have a question for nat on this 
yeah, you talk about your, your role as a wife and mum on top of your work and extracurricular stuff. I suppose finding or providing some advice perhaps on that work-life balance, something that we've been dwelling on a little is just trying to achieve that. On my own personal reflection, looking at what are the effective strategies that I've found that I can employ, you know, in my own life to help that. Yeah, look, I think firstly I call it the work-life juggle rather than the work-life balance because I think <laughs> mm, um, everyone strives to achieve the balance and I, I don't know, it almost feels like it, it's an, impossible to feel like you're at that perfect point of, of harmony but you've got to be comfortable with where you're at. So whether that's balanced or not, anyway, I call it the juggle. But there's probably always the piece you go, oh, maybe I should be spending more time doing this or maybe I shouldn't spend more time doing that. But you've just got to get to a point where, look, I'm I'm doing the best I can. I'm comfortable that I'm spending enough time with my family. Um, I don't feel like I'm neglecting my work. You know, I guess you've just got to try and get to that point in, in your own head. Definitely, I think the thing that women, mums in particular, are really not good at doing is making time for themselves and making that time for what's important because at the end of the day yes we only have a finite amount of time but it's all about prioritizing and if you say that something is important to you it might be some of these extracurricular things that we were just talking about obviously there'll be an element of family in that too but if you decide that something is a priority you just have to make the time for it you know my son I'm a keen mountain biker. So we have him doing after-school mountain biking. And every second Thursday, I go along and and help out. I just make time for that. It turns up in my calendar. (laughs) I make sure that there's no other appointments that come through. For me, that's a priority. And you just, you got to decide on what those things are and make no excuses for moving them um, or don't don't let yourself make excuses for, for moving them. So you got to give yourself a break though too and it's not always going to be perfect and there are going to be weeks where something's urgent at work and you've got to kind of sacrifice some of the other things that you do. That's okay. Just don't do it every week. You know, make sure that you've got that rational balance or that rational perspective, I guess, and realise that um, things aren't always going to be perfect. But if you can make sure that you're making the best attempt that you can to make time for those things that you're really passionate about, it all tends to work out. I, I tend also not to, I'm not a big list person. If I look around me, I've got a gazillion post-it notes of little scribbles. But <laughs> rather than trying to think about all of the things that I need to do, I just think about what are the couple of things that are most important for me either today or this week or, or whatever that might be. If I get those things done, everything else tends to sort itself out. So, um, you know, try not to get too involved in the minutiae, I guess, and and the the detail and and get stressed about all of that stuff. Think about what are the real key things that you're going to contribute to that will make a difference to your business or your project or whatever that might be. And then, yeah, the rest of it tends to sort itself out. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess in terms of particular strategies, it is really that piece about creating time for yourself, prioritising those things are important. But the other thing that you've got to see as important is you and what you need to do to do a bit of that self-care. So, um, you know, again, I just make sure that mountain biking is my vice. So make sure I find time and make time on the weekend to do that or during the week or or whenever the right time is. So give yourself some time to decompress, 
now that we've started working from home a bit more, I've, I've, you know, I've missed my commute to and from work, which is where I used to listen to my podcasts and do a bit of thinking. Mm-hmm. But again, you just got to create that time and space for that um, in a different way. So just making sure that you have that time for yourself because you're no good to anyone else if you don't give yourself the time for the self-care. Cheers, Nat. And when you were talking, I was just thinking, is she going to say sometimes it's okay to say no? Yes, yes, I am. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not brilliant at it. I still like to try and do everything. <laughs> As I was even, uh, so my flight out to Geneva was Friday night at 9pm, which is, you know, the same time as the AWA gala dinner was on. And oh. I love the, the gala dinner. And there was lots of reasons to be this year. Oh, no. and, and in the days before I kept staring at my calendar going, is there a way I can make it work? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's true, listeners. That's true. Can I get from <laughs> Brisbane City to the airport instantaneously? That's right. Can I swing through and have a drink with everyone? No, but yeah, you, you're right. It, it, you know, the point I guess mentioned earlier is you can't do everything. And yes, sometimes you've got to learn to say, no, I can't do it. Or no, I can't do it right now. Or yes, I just can't take, I can't take this on at this point in time. So you've got to be realistic about what you can, um, what you can do. Okay. So when you look back on your engineering career, and you've still got many, many years in front of you. What's some of the significant projects that you've been involved with that you've been most proud of? Well, look, the big signature project for me, of course, is, is Logan, which you, you touched on before. So that's been a 13-year journey um, of, uh, of working with Logan City Council um, d- down at WSP and ourselves, I guess, on, um, on delivering water and wastewater infrastructure. And it's something, you know, I'm in- incredibly proud of. We've been through the bid process three times, been successful, obviously, on all of those occasions. It's a great project where you get to get involved in projects at the start, to see them built, to look at how those assets are operated, um, uh, how they're maintained, um, and and all those sorts of things. Uh, And I guess my journey with Logan has been, um, you know, I was involved in some of the initial setup stuff in the planning phase. I sat on the leadership group. At one point, I I jumped into Logan as the planning manager um, and spent a couple of years down there full time, which was a, a great opportunity, great experience at the right point in, in time for me too. And my, my son was quite young at the time, so it was a good opportunity to step away from consulting land and, and do something that was perhaps a little more controllable. And uh, and, and that was a, a great uh, yeah, a great time of, of my career. Um, and now I still maintain uh, a role as the leadership group member there as well so yeah that's definitely the the highlight of my career and we'll continue to to do so we've still got quite a number of years to run and uh, lots more awards to put in the trophy cabinet we keep winning them which is fantastic but that's all due to I think the the fabulous environment and the great innovation that comes from having all of the right people around the table at the right time to create some innovative solutions so um, yeah that's definitely the, the highlight of my career something that's very much front of mind at the moment for a long time in engineering has been the gender gap and you know you spoke about women in engineering you know you're involved in things like AWAR and FIDIC and other things but what are some of your hopes and dreams for the future of women in engineering? Yeah look it's an interesting one I've definitely seen a lot of change in my 25 odd years and you know it's moved from me often being the only female in the room to at least having a bit of company Um, so that's good but we've still got a long way to go Um, I was at a an Engineers Australia International Women's Day thing last year it was just a chat amongst a bunch of engineering executives and and talking about I guess the, the gender balance 
And it's interesting that in about 20 years, the proportion of females in engineering hasn't really substantially changed. What has changed is the number of women that have gotten into leadership positions. So, because that was terrible yep. 20 years yep. ago, again, still got a way to go with that. But it is a really tricky one because we're still struggling to get women into engineering in the first place. And there's also quite a significant drop off once. Even after people study engineering, um, there's a fairly significant dropout rate. So there's a fair bit of work to be done around supporting women, supporting women returning to work, but also getting the pipeline right and, and encouraging young girls to consider engineering as a career opportunity. The other piece that's changed, though, I guess, is that you know engineers don't do stuff in isolation, and we, we probably never did, but I think that collaborative multidisciplinary facet of bringing projects together has really changed and so again if you look inside the businesses so within water utilities within consulting companies they're no longer just engineering companies there's a bunch of environmental scientists there's communications professionals you know there's a whole raft of others that are involved in that so when you look at engineering more as in engineering projects and that broader view then I think there's some improvements in terms of the gender gap uh, because there, there's probably a high proportion of females and scientists and architects and, and those types of things. But, yeah, the engineering piece is still a – it is still a, a real challenge. Um, there's some great programs that various companies have, you know, making sure that you sponsor females and, and provide them with those opportunities to step into, into leadership roles. Lots of different, you know, just even networking forums. Uh, AWA have the Women of Water group, which we, we run every – couple of months and just a good opportunity to connect with like-minded professionals you know I, I spent probably the first part of my career going oh, I don't want to be involved in these women in groups why would I make why would I make it a bigger issue than it than it necessarily should be and um it took a little epiphany at some point, and I think it was after sometime after uh, my son was born that I realized it's not really about me that um I can give an awful lot back to some of those discussions. It's not about what I can get from those discussions, but it's more about what I can can give back. And you know, the piece about you can't be what you can't see, and and obviously, uh, I guess with my role, there's an opportunity there, hopefully for for women to see that there is a you know there is a career path and, and leadership roles available, and and nothing that that should get in your way. So um, yeah, I don't think there's any magic advice that I have, but definitely there's a there's some great great things that companies are doing and definitely some really good initiatives out there, but we still have a fair, fair way to go. Yeah, great work again, Nat. It's just so important that we reflect and try and find our purpose and to share our knowledge and to promote the next generation and to, to do better than what we can do. And it's interesting. I think the sustainability piece is probably a key it's a key way to potentially, you know, I think even engineering itself has an identity issue. Um, you Google engineering and sometimes you see train drivers and all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Um, <laughs> but, you know, engineers are problem solvers. We solve the biggest problems in the world and climate change is one of those at the moment. So, you know, if we're looking to attract people into engineering, we're looking to attract females engineering, you know, it's about problem solving. It's not about maths and science and boring stuff like that it's actually about being creative and solving problems together so if we can morph the message a little bit then I think we've got a potential opportunity to really you know really address that imbalance that might be a good selling point you know rather than I don't know 
you might go to so say a careers day and be talking about oh, here's this interesting engineering project it's it's perhaps more selling the message than the delivered piece this is what we overcome to develop this and find that end product it's not an easy answer no so, it's not uh, if it was easy we would have already solved it i guess <laughs> Nat, what's been the hardest lesson that you've learned on your career so far a very memorable one for me was around don't underestimate the public. So I was working down at Yarramilly Water on our backlog program that I, that I spoke about before and we had a community reference group meeting. So we were meant to be sewering this particular town, connecting it to the metropolitan system and, and sending all the sewage away. Um, there was an existing local treatment plant that was going to be decommissioned and it all kind of goes from there. My boss at the time had some sort of family drama so I was unable to make it at the last minute. I'd only just been introduced to the, the project and the program, didn't know a whole lot about it. You'll be fine, he said. You'll be fine. It's all good. <laughs> Famous last um, words. Famous last words, indeed. And there'd been some previous reference group meetings, but there was, I think, a particular key player in the community that had been away. That's right. Had there been enough research done we probably should have known about this person and been prepared for them but we absolutely weren't and I certainly was not um, and I went to talk about the benefits of connecting it to talk about you know the pump station's going to be fine you know it's it's going to be a whole lot better than the, the treatment plant that you've got uh, there at the moment and talk about all of those positives and he just went off on a, on a rant and a tangent and we completely lost control of the meeting so yeah big lesson in community consultation there and uh, something that. Uh, of yeah, never, never, ever forgotten. Identify the problem creators in the group, deal with them ahead yes. of time. <laughs> do your research, absolutely. Do your research and um, make sure. I think the other piece there is to make sure you're really clear about what you're consulting about if you're in a in that consultation piece. And you know, all of those things that I know now, I knew nothing of, and just was you know, I guess flippantly sent along to this meeting. It'll be fine. So yeah, definitely would be better prepared for any of those meetings in the future and also also be insisting that we do a lot more homework beforehand. Thanks it's, for sharing that lesson. It's always important to get these negative experiences and, and learn from them so they never happen again. So sorry to right. bring back those painful memories. <laughs> sounds like right. you've recovered and, and learned a lot. It's quite some think, time ago now. Yeah, I, I think we've probably got one of those projects in our memory that, that have affected us personally, definitely, because we've not treated it or been a little light in, in our consideration of the either the community or, or the environmental impact. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. I was going to ask, what are the things that you could maybe tell our listeners about what motivates you? Um, look, it all comes down to making a difference, I guess. Um, when I was in primary school, I don't remember the poem, but I remember that there was a poem we read every day and there's one line out of it, which was, I want to leave the world a little kinder and a little better than I found it. And for whatever reason, that has just stuck in, in my head. And there's lots of things that you can kind of draw from that. But it was really the piece that sort of, well, I, don't know, I guess it just sort of drives me to make sure that what I do has a positive legacy, I guess, on, on, um, on our world. Thanks again for sharing that. In your leadership role, you're prone to successes, and that's great, but you're also prone to dealing with failures and disappointments. And that's something that I'm keen to learn from you on how you move on from those times and, and issues. It could be a, a lost proposal or someone that 
um, your staff that's decided to move on. Can you talk us about how you deal with that? At the end of the day, you've got to try and not take it too personally. It is hard because you get invested, you know, you get invested in the business. Um, I'm very passionate about the people that I work with. I in, enjoy working with them. I, I enjoy the business and have great ambitions, I guess, for the for the business that we, we work in together. But um, you can't control everything and not everything is going to go your way. So you've got to try and, I guess, I say not take it too personally. But also, I guess, think about, what does it mean? What can you learn from it? And all those sorts of things. If someone's leaving the business, yes, it might be really disappointing, but, you know, if it's a great opportunity for them, what are you going to do? You know, you've got to support people in their career growth as well. You hope that maybe they'll come back at some point in time or you'll get the opportunity to work with them again. So, yeah, I guess as I say, it's really just about thinking about the bigger picture. If there's things, you know, a lost proposal you talked about, obviously you've got to think about, well, what can we do next time? That's obviously a good opportunity for for reflection. And similarly with it, with any of the things, if it's a something that hasn't gone well or, or a disappointment, what can you learn? What can you take forward? Nothing's ever a failure if you can learn from it. So if uh, something hasn't gone as you anticipate, well, make the best of it and try and take something away from it because then it's it's never a wasted opportunity if you can at least learn from it and move forward. I'd like to share one of my sayings or one of my thoughts is if you fail forward, it's okay. You're yeah. getting closer to your target. So there's yeah. something back mm. to you. I've got one more, Simon. You know, we both worked with Ian Cameron at Logan and he was a big part of my career and he drummed into me the importance of setting career goals. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate, if you're willing to, to share on some of your goals? What's on the list? I know you're not a list person, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's interesting. So my goals are probably a little a little different. I've always struggled with the what's your five-year goal question when people ask you that in an interview because I've never been one to say, oh, I want to take on this role or I want to be a CEO or I want to be whatever it might be. My goals are more about actually getting the juggle right that we kind of talked about before. So you know, my motivation, I want to make a difference. I want to contribute to the industry. I want to do things that are meaningful. So from a, a job or a role point of view, I want to have a, a role that challenges me, that drives me, something that inspires me. But it also has to be one that allows me to have a balance with family and with my time outside of work. So, you know, there are times when maybe there's something that's not an upward step, maybe it's a sideways step or maybe it's something different. But I guess I use that as a bit of a framework to evaluate opportunities that are in front of me. Um, it's a little bit of a one step at a time scenario. Look on the horizon and I've probably been fortunate to have a lot of opportunities come my way at the, the right time. I've, I don't think I've had the opportunity to be too bored with something, to be be looking, um, you know, looking too far ahead. But, uh, yeah, probably not. I'm not a big one as far as, yeah, this is specifically where I want to go because I'm also a believer that, you know, the path is windy. So if you say you want to be X, then if you're doing something that's not on a direct path for it, you might end up being disappointed, but it may end up getting you where you need to be. So I guess I'm a bit more around what are the things that are important to you? And to me, that is trying to get that, get that balance, be able to make sure that I do need to be passionate about my job. I do need to be someone that is driven and really enjoys my job. So that's a really key thing for me. I, I couldn't go and 
drive a truck. So, you know, make sure that I've got a role that allows me to be challenged, that I can almost create what is that I want to do that will help challenge me and, and drive a particular direction. So that's, I guess, where my goals come from. Yeah, when you look back at, say, what your goals were, you realise that, that they're nowhere near what you actually probably want now, the goals that you had six months ago or, or say, three years ago. In that time frame. Again, it comes back to that piece. What are the couple of things that are important? So what's important for my career? Maybe I need to diversify. Maybe I need to, you know, contribute to an external organisation or whatever that might be and think about that on a, yeah, on a smaller basis. It doesn't work for everyone. Some people need goals and, you know, need very firm and strong goals and I aspire to do this and that. But um, I guess for me this has kind of worked a little bit of that more flexible approach. Well, you can tick off that box which says go on a podcast because you're doing an excellent <laughs> job so far. That's so. right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you mentioned your mountain biking. Is that your one and only favourite pastime or have you got a few to elaborate on? Oh, look, nature, I guess, is uh, – I do enjoy being in nature and that's sort of where a, a bit of that stems from. So mountain biking, a bit of hiking, a bit of camping, um, that's sort of how mm. we enjoy spending time. We bought a camper trailer just before COVID. So try to get out in that a bit. Um, the wet weather of late hasn't been the best. But, um, yeah, no, so that's that's all fun. In terms of the mountain biking, I actually coach mountain biking. So I'll spend my Sunday afternoons coaching kids and spend time during the week helping to run the club, of course, too. So, yeah, that's a, that's another, I don't know, outlet, I guess. Um, and, and that's fantastic to see, you know, we yeah. coach kids as young as five to come on their their little bikes and not really know very much and give them the skills and confidence to be able to get over some obstacles and, and hit the trails. So, uh, yeah, so that's a, another great way of giving back and really energising. This is really interesting, Simon. On some of our guest interviewees, it's just there's a common theme of camping, mountain biking, mm-hmm. nature. It's like we're not doing this deliberately, but it's just everyone seems to be doing that. <laughs> uh, we should line you up with Todd Batley. He was on our show a couple of, a couple of weeks ago. He's a mad keen mountain biker too. So, yeah, well, there we just, go. Uh, just a lot of similarities going on in this in this industry. I uh, think there's a lot that we probably forget about that you know we probably did, uh, depending on your 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 stance on evolution or what have you. But we're very much drawn to nature. I think without mm. in our subconscious, I think a lot of people find a really balancing and and calming element with nature. So it probably doesn't surprise me to be honest. Mm, absolutely. All right, Nat. Well, it's now time for the fabulous five questions, and this is the best part of the show, I think, because <laughs> it's like the unknown. We're gonna we're gonna find out what makes delve into the unknown. What, what makes Nat tick here? Because you haven't told us anything what your answers are gonna be, so I'm really excited. All right, so I'll kick it off, Simon. First question, Nat. What has been the greatest piece of advice received, and who told you? Yeah, look, one of my bosses at Yarra, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was really about your job's actually about making your boss's life easier. And it flipped my thinking from being someone who, still relatively junior at the time, but, you know, was almost waiting for tasks and accepting and doing tasks to really flipping my thinking about, okay, where's this going? What do I need to do this for? And, you know, when I appreciate then that he had to send it so that it went to the executive team or whatever it was, I'd try to just make sure that I framed things in a way that it could it could do that. And, uh, you know, in the consulting world, obviously, it helps you in terms of framing around if it's going to a client or if the client needs to get it to their board or all those sorts of things. But, yeah, it was, as I say, I don't remember the specific piece of advice, but I do remember it really flicking a switch that 
sitting here and just doing my job isn't enough. I've got to actually help my boss and do what it is that, that they need and, and try and make sure that what I'm doing is contributing to what they need to do. Sorry, I was just going to say that there's probably another piece, um, again, around being quite pragmatic. Um, I vividly remember driving home when I was pregnant with my son. It was 7 o'clock, which wasn't unusual at the time. And I'm driving home. I think it was raining too. I'm going, how's this going to work? How's this going to work? I've got this child at seven o'clock. How's this going to work? Um, but anyway, I, I just put on a pragmatic lens and it's like, well, millions of other people do this. Surely you can make it work too. Um, and then started to sort of think about, well, you know, what do you, everyone panics about whether they've got everything organised for when the baby comes home. Well, there's a bed, there's clothes, you know, what else do they need? The rest of it we can sort out. So a bit of that pragmatism, I think, um, is always important to, you know, what's really important, get that stuff done. The rest of it will sort itself out. It comes back to your list. You know, you, you can write down 20 things on the list, but really it's it's those important one or two things that bubble to the top. Like you say, you, the baby lists are, are notorious. You know, people <laughs> yes. have this idea of having all of these things that they need, but really they only need a blanket and a bed and milk and food, you know, the five essential kind of things that we have. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Question two, who would you like to share a dinner with and why? Yeah, it was interesting thinking about this, but um, look, I'd say my nana. She was a very, very special person in my life and just, you know, would really love to have one more dinner with her. So, mm. um, yeah, if I had the, the one choice, that's, that's who it would be. It's lovely. Very good. What would you have for dinner, you think? Lamb roast? I don't know. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Pork roast? Got to have the crackling. Oh, yes. oh, yeah. Okay, so number three, what is your greatest non-work-related achievement? Oh, look, probably, you know, the typical parent response, but um, <laughs> it's my son, uh, you know, having having him um, nine years ago. It was his, his birthday the other day. So, um, yeah, amazing to see him develop and to, to really grow into a young man. And can I push you for another one? Oh, I don't know. I, I struggle with thinking anything more than that. Um, I, I did come up with a, a fun fact was that I once performed a trapeze at an AWA event. So that was um, that was a bit oh, of an achievement. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's spectacular. There's even video trapeze. footage. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. I'll have to dig that one out. Do you have your heart in, in your mouth when you, you see him on the mountain bike flying down the hill? Sometimes, yes, sometimes. <laughs> it, it's all about control, I guess, and um, yes, and same with any of the other kids too, that uh, if you know that, if you can see that they're controlled, it's all good, but sometimes they're, like, you know, writing checks that their body can't cash uh, and uh, you get a bit worried when you see that. Okay, question four, favourite place to travel to and why? Kind of hard to choose. Um, obviously, as I said before, we love camping and, and it's good in fact, with our camping journeys, we get out to lots of different places and very rarely go to to the same place. Locally, I guess, also love going to Tassie. Um, lots of great mountain biking and hiking, mm. wineries, distilleries, good food. Yes. You know, it's kind of got it all. And, and, you know, obviously lots of great places overseas, similarly, New Zealand, Japan, Canada. I don't know, anywhere I can get on my bike, pretty much. Oh, excellent. <laughs> The, the the mountain biking holiday yeah, I've I've not tried That's it right. but but it, it does sound appealing I have to say it's good fun you just have to be a little careful to make sure you return in one piece yeah the, I can imagine the the travel insurance is definitely uh, the, <laughs> at the right level indeed okay and question number five and Simon by the way I'm I'm going to slip in another 
question after this one for Nat, something that I that I haven't even told you about. So there's actually going to be six questions. To, yeah, superior six. So question five is, Nat, what is your go-to drink, a red, white or other? Well, I'm a situational drinker, so it could be any or all of those. So, you know, whites, maybe a rosé in summer, reds in winter, gin, it's kind of an anytime drink. I like a smoky whiskey or a mezcal as a nightcap. Try not to drink them all in one sitting, obviously, but uh, yeah, uh, very much a situational drinker and yeah, kind of enjoyed quite a range. Totally get it. And the sixth question, Nat, when you're driving to work, do you have a pump up song, something that gets you really in the mood to get to work? No, I don't. I don't. I, I'm um, my commute's interesting. Like some days, I just like silence and I just like to think and decompress. And I don't know. Might be if I'm driving to work, it might be planning my day. Um, if I'm going home, it's 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 decompressing. Other days, yes, I'll I'll turn the radio up. Um, usually to some you know trashy eighties session, sorry station or something along those lines. Um, and and sing along. Or other days, I'll listen to a podcast. So. It's definitely not a, a fixed habit. It just depends on my mood on the on the particular day. Fair pump enough, up song right? though. Yeah. Maybe I need to try that. Yeah, I oh, thought the tiger. Been, yeah. I thought there might have been an eighties classic you might have told us about. <sighs> no, I'm not yeah, I don't know. There's there's I'm not good at ones of anything. Like I probably like, you know, lots of eighties mm. music, but not one particular song. That's fine, not a problem. Well, that's the end of our chat with you, Natalie. I've had a great time and it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us and coming all that way from Geneva just to come and see <laughs> us. That's great. No, thank you. Really enjoyed it. So nice to chat to you. Thanks so much, Natalie. Thanks, listeners. Uh, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.